today I have something a little bit different for you. So you know my friend Ray, if you listened to this podcast before, he's been on it several times, and it probably comes as no surprise that I have long thought Ray should write a book, if he chooses to, of course, and he has long resisted. So he and I were talking, and he said, what if you coach me around my resistance? So that's what we did. You're listening to Courageous Wordsmith, episode number 28. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Welcome to my world. Today, I'm talking with my friend, Ray DePola, who so far I have not convinced to write a book. You know, you and I have been talking about this episode, and I'm super excited. Well, I asked you if we could talk about this because I know this is what you do. I know that you have been leading people, you know, down this path and helping them share their stories and craft their stories. And and I know that there's this stop, this this barrier in my way. Um, so I thought, well, I don't think I'm the only one. And, Far from it. Far from and it. it. And this would give folks a chance to see, hear, experience your magic. So, Ooh, you know, and it's funny, Ray. I mean, I told you this. I have met so many people where I want to read their stories. And I don't think that's a good reason to write a book because somebody wants to hear your story. That's not. But people will tell me, I have a book I'd like to write, or I've always wanted to write a book followed very closely with all the reasons they can't. They're too busy or their story's not important or, but have you heard about this person whose story's really excellent? So it's a universal thing. And I don't know what it is about book per se that is so intimidating that people, that people do this, but it's, it's kind of like marathon or book, you know, our age it's marathon <laughs> or book. So I would love to start by asking you, what does writing a book mean to you? So it's interesting that you, you framed it with knowing folks who say, like, I want to write a book, but I don't think I have it in me or it's not enough. And, I, you know, my first instinct is, but that's not me. But, <laughs> but as I even said that, I guess it is me. You know, I, so I'll tell you what, what comes up for me is, and I, and I bet this is true for a lot of folks, I revere books. Mm. I mean, they're so important to me and they have been so critical in forming who I am that there's this one part of me that thinks I don't have that like magic. I'm not worthy. My story isn't that big. Yeah. Um, and then there's the other part of me that just worries that it would just be too damn hard. Like the work, like there are so many things in my life that I want to just flow. And yeah. I feel like when I'm aligned, things flow. And then I think about, you know, things that I have written and edited. And it's easy to forget how, how rewarding it is in the end. And I guess my mind goes to, man, it's just so freaking hard at times. Um, I remember, I remember as a kid reading 
you know, a book that was well constructed, I would read it. And you know, there's layers, right? It's interwoven. For me, the books that speak to me, and, and I wanna ask you in a moment, what books have really spoken to you? When I've read a book that's, that's just so powerful, some of these stories that get at the intricacy of, well, I mean, I'm a German major, so a lot of my things were stories that related to World War II, but the human face of it, right? And I'd read it and it was this amazement, but there was also this edge of despair, like, oh my gosh, the amount of time it took to write this book, how will I ever, as if, you know, like, as if I need to do it right now, like the little me that's here now has to do it right now. And I think about books like A Prayer for Owen Meany, where he drops this one little thing at the beginning and threads it all the way through and ties it, it's, it's amazing and surprises you. Um, I, I think of, um, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, if you've ever read A Hundred Years of Solitude, it like, it starts out with this one little thread, it comes to this great crescendo and it brings it all back to this one little thing. They didn't write those in a day, but we read them in such a short time that I think we experience that wonder and we forget. They wrote it, I've been getting the message one foot in front of the other everywhere I go lately, it's ridiculous one foot in front of the other. I've been seeing turtles. It's teeny tiny little steps, right? So, okay, back to the question I posed way back there. So what book for you did you read where you were just like, I love this and I wish I could have written it or something like it? So what I noticed, there are a few books and the theme has been, and it, it feels like it just weaves into who I've become. These men, these younger men who find sort of this magical mentor, this guide. So Richard Bach in writing Illusions, Dan Millman, The Way of the Secret Warrior, even Paulo Coelho, The Alchemist, you know, sort of this, this blur of magic and reality in, in these stories, in a man finding his truest self and his purpose. Mm. In fact, another one that comes to mind, uh, Breakfast with Buddha. Um, oh, I love in, that. I mean, I've never read it, but I love that title. Yeah. Uh, Marulo is the author. But yeah, just, you know, and I think that theme, it, it's so interesting because when I was younger, I was that young guy, you know, I, I pictured myself in that role wanting to find the mentor and i do feel this shift you know moving more toward being the mentor mm. and i really do believe if we can't locate ourselves in the landscape i don't want to read that book you know what's your stake in the story and so i love what you said about one to write the book that the younger you would have wanted mm -hmm. so i'm curious if you if you could take me back to that younger man who was inspired by such books and who wanted to evolve. What do you think he was asking for? So the word that immediately jumps up is permission. This, I think finding, so feeling this truth that you know, listening to the Dalai Lama and this sense of, you know, compassion, um, caring, knowing oneself, 
are sort of the guideposts to living a, a full and rich life and, and wanting somebody to confirm that, mm. you know, and, and what I loved about these stories and what they, what they spoke to in this really sort of adventurous, playful narrative was always, okay, it's not like you go and you, you know, go to some retreat and you have this week long experience and then you go home and, <laughs> and real life happens and you forget all about, you know, and it's like, I don't get it. What was really cool about all of these stories was the integration part. Mm. So, you know, you see the, the young man living his life, hitting these roadblocks and in real time, getting the guidance or the lesson or the debrief after in a really compassionate, big picture understanding. And it just made me really embrace wanting that kind of life. So that bigger picture sense where, you know, not getting drawn into the drama or the circles or the, the triangles, but really being able to lift above to say, okay, here's why I'm frustrated, but here's why they're frustrated or here, here's why they're sad. Here's why they're struggling. And just knowing it's like, you know what? I want to be that anchor point. I don't want to be the ship tossed in the waves. You know what's so fascinating about what you just said? I mean, many things, but from my perspective, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned permission. Mm -hmm. Closely upon that, you mentioned the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama does not have permission. He's in exile. He can't even go home. Mm, mm -hmm. He gives himself permission. And I mean, I've heard that to do what he does, he spends hours a day in meditation to prepare to ground himself. Something I admire and would love to like get myself to do, but there's my source of resistance. Oh, I can't possibly. You do that. You go out into the woods, you do that meditation. So I think it's interesting the ways in which you and I can I can see you reeling up right now. I am not like the Dalai Lama. I, I mean, I, I predict, knowing you, given our friendship, I predict that you, you will tell me all the reasons you're not like Buddha or the Dalai Lama. But those guys are, I mean, I read Siddhartha, you know, Herman Hesse is another book like what you described. Damien had that similar effect where I read it and I was just like, oh, I feel that in my heart, right? But you do that. You go out into the woods and commune with spirit. And so looking at those books that you, you put on the pedestal and saying, how am I like that? You know, you know, because you and I went to the same training, there's the saying, you've spot it, you've got it. Whether you like it or whether you not, it's, it's a mirror on ourselves. So yeah. I'm super curious about, yeah, let's do this. Three ways in which you are like the Dalai Lama, go. Uh. <laughs> I, I do my best to reside in peace. I do my best to hold open my understanding of myself and others. And I'm gentle. What, what comes to mind is I wish I laughed as easily as the Dalai Lama. You watch, you know, you just watch him and he just, he chuckles and he laughs and he smiles and that's another, you know, that's another goal of mine. I, I hope to be that gentle and peaceful that 
that the laugh comes easily. And it's never, you know, it's never this sarcastic or like intrusive or, you know, laughing at someone else's expense. It's always just this genuine, it's like his heart is smiling all the time. Mm. So that's a goal, but. I love, by the way, I'm going to interrupt you and say, I love when you said that your face, you smiled so brightly when you said that, you know, and, and you are, I mean, so you don't laugh loudly, you laugh silently, but, but for somebody who's listening, I'm watching my friend Ray laugh right now. So just, just to put that out there. <laughs> well, and you know, and that's the thing is I recognize, and that's what I, you know, and, and when I, when I picture the Dalai Lama smiling, I recognize like there's this light that goes on and I feel that in me, you know, thank you for reflecting that back to me. I wish, you know, my goal is to walk and spend more time in my day with this energy, with that light shining. Mm. So, yeah, like you say, you know, spend four or five hours meditating a day and it's probably how you cultivate that. <laughs> and somehow this is the part that amazes me because I, I can do the play and I had a day like this yesterday. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I had some coordinate points which is actually also how I write my books, by the way. Although I will say that this second book, again, I'm like, dang it, it's not going as fast as I want. And I have to remind myself, yes, because it's a process. But yesterday I had those coordinates sort of mapped out and between some, some funny spaces where I couldn't intellectually fill them before I got there, I had to go on a trust walk through, through Minneapolis, by the way, not out in the woods, but, but I think my Minneapolis is sort of like your woods. Mm-hmm. The, the universe fills it in and it's a beautiful day. I would like to punctuate that with more of the meditating afterwards, coming back to self and taking care of myself. Cause what I will do is I'll go do that so much and then drain myself back down. So I think it's, it's, it's both, right? It's going out and being in the world in that absolute curious place, but it's also coming back to the meditative self that allows you to sustain that. So one of the things I tell people is, in fact, I taught a class, was it Monday? I taught a class on Monday and I gave them the very simplest definition of a story. So it's Joseph Campbell's monomyth. A person sets out, the person is the protagonist, whoever the story is, you know, say, say that you were writing a, a memoir, you set out and you have an objective in mind. You're, you're going from point A to point B. And the spoiler alert is you're never going to get to point B. Your brain, even knowing this, your brain will still be like, oh, but this time I'm going to get to point B, whatever that is, right? You will never get to point B because either you will get to point B, but it's nothing like you expected. You will get to point C, another place entirely, or you will get back to point A and it will look entirely different. Mm. And the actions that take you from this place to that place, those aren't even the story. Those move the story forward. The story is the change, the transformation that happens within those two points. And it's grounded in these actions or we interact with the world in tangible ways. And I was teaching this class and I, I offered up that and a woman raised her hand and she's like, yeah, but what about hero's journey? I think all the stories are hero's journey. You know, everybody knows at this point, we understand that hero's journey is a thing that guides our stories. It's a really beautiful tool. You know, the hero steps out and, and there's the refusal of call. I mean, it's basically, 
which is also Joseph Campbell. It's, it's just unpacked, right? Mm-hmm. But I think we, we think that just because there's this path, it has to be so big. It has to be so epic. There has to be a war or there has to be, you know, there's something so huge. And yet it can be so tiny. I mean, the stories you're talking about aren't tales of epic anything. They're very small. Mm-hmm. But if you look at them, you would see that they're grounded at about five anchor points. You mentioned anchors. There are five anchor points, and there are these, I call them shiny objects, you know, but they're these things that speak to you, that echo, that shift between those places. So, for example, for you, I would say, well, I'm, I'm curious what you would say the, the tangible clues are, because I have an idea what your tangible clues are, but I know the landscape you walk through. I know what you bring up when you share things. I'm curious if you have a sense of what that imagery is. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. You are mentioning these little teeny traces of nature. It's the fox who came to visit you. It's the eagle. It's It's always your love of nature and how you go out and do that but how it's always, it's always a giving yourself permission to let down your, you and I have talked about how we both are very certain about things and we, it, for both of us, and this is probably one of the, one of the foundations of our friendship is we're so, we're so intellectual. <laughs> our minds are strong and we have to, I mean, we each have our ways of, of, saying to our mind, thank you, but I'm going to take leave here for a moment and I'm just going to kind of go off and see what wants to happen. And for you, I think those touch points are are nature. But tell me where I'm wrong. No, you're... I mean, I think nature is one container or one channel for me. I mean, all sorts of expletives come to mind, but I mean, it's... To me, nature is God. Nature is the divine. I mean, it is the articulation of that. But so is Minneapolis. So is, you know, so is family. And it's, but it's harder for me to, it's simpler when I go out in nature to hear that and to see that. But it's interesting because even when you were saying it, and so focusing on, or sort of that that bell of permission, ringing you even talked about you know we're so intellectual and yet you you know you sort of step away and and that's the way it so i mentioned integration before and i think the puzzle that i haven't quite cracked but i feel that's the answer the integration so you know the dalai lama he he's not just peaceful when he's meditating like right peaceful all the time he's good-natured and good-humored and the light is shining all the time. I don't want to just be in touch with the divine when I go out in nature. And sometimes it feels that way. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a retail gig and I go to the retail gig and my light, I don't feel like my light is shining. You know, when you mentioned how my face brightened when I was talking about the Dalai Lama and talking about smiling, my mind went to, you know, I've, I know like the eight hour day at work there's not a lot of smiling for me because it's this darkness. So, but in some, and then there's the whole like, well, I should, 
smile. I should be able to tap into that. So there's all of that. And it's, and that's where I feel like, oh my gosh, what a knot. And, and then who am I to be writing for somebody else? So that's where. I love this so much because I, you know, in an early writing class I took, it was an online forum and I was like, oh, and it can all just be peace and light and, and, and good, which is a form of bypass. And, Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to hear about my hard times and you know my I mean there's that whole like nobody wants to hear about the fact that you don't like your retail job but we all have retail jobs I mean mine isn't a retail job but we all have our version of that right Um, and the teacher was like yeah no that's a boring story (laughs) like like that's all good and fine I'm happy you're all blissed out but but the story is in that duality and how do we live with that I mean if you were to you know, in fact, I just read a beautiful book by a friend of mine. I, it's my first blurb. I'm very excited about it. And um, Carrie Mangus wrote it. It's called Embodying Soul. And she, um, she talks about it's not about enlightenment. I mean, enlightenment is great, but that's like that blissed out state. But it's we're human beings having a human experience. And so in part, it is embodiment. And it's, it's, not running away from that unpleasantness either, but, but acknowledging it and saying, okay, retail job that I kind of hate a lot. What do you got to tell me today? And what, how does nature speak to that? So it almost, I'm not saying you have to write about your nature job or I'm sorry. I do think you should write about nature. I'm not saying you have to write about the, the retail job, but I do think that there's interest in that contrast because that's the shadow side. Right. No, and it's certainly, you know, it's been just like, you know, when we grow up, the way we grow up is by running into challenges, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's our family or school or, you know, social problems. And the interesting, right, the, the stuff we want to read about, the stuff we, that makes us interesting are, how did we navigate it? You're absolutely right. Um, and so, you know, yeah, it wouldn't be a very interesting story if it's like, oh, I started at, you know, here's my retail job. And at the end of the story, it's like, and I'm still at my retail job. But the the navigating to something else, and again, I think you're right. Well, <laughs> and you, you and Joseph Campbell, you know, like. Yeah, let's give credit that, where due. <laughs> it's that vision of, you know, it is that vision of, you know, point B and then that story of like, well, what happens on my way there? Um, yeah. You know, so here's an interesting thing. You, you will know this, but um, when we went through coach training, and, and this is part of why I think that my coaching is a beautiful complement to the writing mentorship piece, because we tell these stories and first of all, we need to process them. So it's the to Helen back story, you know, that we've always been told, like, that's the story people want to hear because they want to know how did you get out of it? But you have to be along that path before you're ready to share it with other people. Cause there's all the resistance. There's all the stuff that's there anyway. It's physically in your body. It's in your psyche. It's, it's there. 
And we all have it. I haven't met a single person who doesn't have it. Brene Brown talks about this with vulnerability, right? There is no leadership, true leadership, true courage without vulnerability. It doesn't exist. But that said, people need to know that you're okay. Like they need to see you flailing about, but you, the narrator, they need to know you're okay or they become anxious with you. So that's mm. the end back. And when I first quit my teaching job, I would, I would feel this need to kind of catch people up on what had happened. You know, like I'd see people and I'd feel like this need to tell them. And after a while I was like, I'm re-traumatizing myself by telling this story. Like they're not going to understand because I don't understand and I'm not okay with them. Not under like it was this whole spiral thing. Mm -hmm. I needed to tell that story for myself, but I needed to tell it with people in a, in a coaching context, not in a storytelling context because I was not okay. Right. And the interesting piece of it is that now people are asking me, which is now how I know that people look at me and go, yeah, you're fine. How did you become a story mentor? How did you get from that point A to point B? How did you do that? And I'm like, oh, people are now looking at me and seeing that I'm okay. And honestly, I can tell you stories from that time and I'm not traumatized. It, it's okay, right? But I sure wish, no, I don't even sure wish, I have. I wrote down stuff during that time. I couldn't have released it then. It wasn't ready for release, but the writing of it while it's happening, like all the things you're doing right now where you don't know how the story ends, but you go out and you come back and you write this little story and that little story, they're pieces of the whole. So in recent times, are there some stories you've written that have spoken to you where they just have a spark of they're interesting, but there's more to it and you know it and there's almost a viscosity there's this quality to the moment where you're in it and you know filled you in a certain way so i haven't even written about it i've spoken about it um and it's funny because the thing that comes up which i think i need you to comment on as well is about vulnerability so so on the one hand thinking like oh my story isn't interesting enough but on the other hand there's this like Oh my God, I feel so, I'll feel so naked. Mm. That's and, the thing, right? It's not really about, I don't have something to say. It's about, do I want to say it? Right. I mean, and, and feeling like, well, you know, it's funny because the argument is, well, it's, it's not that important. But then on this, at this other level, it's so freaking important to me and feels so revealing. Mm -hmm. You know, so what I haven't, what I've shared a couple of times telling people, but I haven't written about is in detail is my mom passing and what that was like and the experience and the connection I had with her during that time, which seems pretty far out at times. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you were saying when you were going through your stuff, you did right, but you also knew like it wasn't ready to be shared. Right. So I, I'm guessing that was sort of the energy, you know, that, that awareness of, you know, I, well, I think for you, I think for a lot of us, but for you, writing is the way you express. It's your creativity and it's your expression. And it's, so it helps you heal, but you also know enough or have learned enough that sometimes I'm just writing for myself or maybe first. And I think you've said this to me before. Mm -hmm. First you wrote, you write for yourself you know, it's funny you say that, though, because I think everybody thinks I'm this brilliant writing practitioner. <laughs> 
And I'm just like you, Ray, you know, I've heard you say, I mean, I'm like, oh, Ray, I just admire your practice. And you're like, yeah, okay. I share that I have a practice, but I have to talk myself into it. It's a, it's a constant going back. You know, there's times when I'm writing and there's times where I'm not. And so there's times when I'm in shape and there's times when I'm definitely not. Well, that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I I think, I think I, that's one of the things on my front is just, you know, it's this a student thing. When I put stuff out, it's, it's good because I've learned how to do good work, but I also reject the a student thing of you have to get it right the first time, you know, you muck about in it. And so I, I'm getting the message from people too, that I need to be more transparent of, no, I don't have all my shit together. I have enough faith that it's going to be really good quality because I've, I'm skilled and I've practiced. But in fact, when I first started taking writing classes, I would put stuff in there and it would be technically perfect. And yet there was a lack of soul. And that was really painful for me. But to let my voice come in, there's, there's an ebb and a flow and a showing up and a, you know, same as, you know, every time you go out into the woods, the fox doesn't come out and say, hey, Ray, how you doing? Right. <laughs> right. And it's easy to quite like, you know, I'll go, I'll go for a walk and I'll be like, oh, didn't see anything today. Like, what does that mean? And, <laughs> and for me, it's sort of this wink of like, that's the way, that's the way life works. You know, you know, celebrate what does happen and it be okay when it doesn't. And wouldn't it be boring if every single day you came out and the fox came out and like there would be no surprise to it, right? Right. It wouldn't be special. It wouldn't be special anymore. Yeah. You know, you and I share an interesting piece in our background, which is my grandfather was an artist so, I mean, like a working artist who supported himself, not well, but he was an artist through and through. And you have a cousin? Second cousin, yeah. Second cousin who is a writer who, I mean, what he writes is very, it's beautiful, it's, it's intricate, but it's got these tiny little details. It's very close in what he works on, right? It's not grand epic scale. It's these right. close stories. And he's done very well and people adore them so you've seen this close up yeah but then that's that added pressure of oh but it's in my family legacy and so so i mean like i think with me part of it is like i've seen what my grandfather did and i and i model myself on him but on the other hand i have very high standards because in my family people will know if it's no good it's that ongoing battle where you just have to be aware that it's there it's part of the it's part of the mix it's interesting that you say battle. And I think one of the things I noticed, and you've, you know, you mentioned spiritual bypass. I think, you know, some of it, like the work writing or singing or some sort of creative action can be so rewarding just doing the work. Yeah. And I know that, like I've done that, but I also what my mind goes to, which I think is sort of wanting to keep things the same and small is yep. the, it's hard work. It's too hard. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I'll think, no, what's, what's sort of hard and laborious is going to that retail gig. Like that's hard, not physically, but it drains. So that's hard in that way. Whereas doing the creative stuff can be so rewarding. I'm super curious, Ray, 
I'm not sure I've convinced you of anything. (laughs) (laughs) But if you were going to write a book, let's just play what if for about five minutes. Are you willing? Am I I willing to write a book? No, no, no. Are you just willing to play what if for about five minutes? Sure. Okay. So if you were going to write a book, Okay. I mean, you've already described a lot of this, but I just, I am just super curious what has sort of resonated with you. If you were going to write a book and you could just describe what you would want that book to be like, let's just make a list of several items and I'll just, I'll just write them down. Mm. What would, what would you want that book to contain or to be like? A physical journey, but also a growing up, a mentor, sort of that mentor student relationship nature you know that would be part of the journey transformation comes to mind but i feel like that's sort of baked into any interesting story but maybe it's not so maybe i shouldn't assume the notions of meditation wordlessness compassion and the rewards of that the search so victor frankel right the search for meaning yeah that's a book I want to read. Oh, and there'd have to be magic, of course. And there's magic. Yes. Yeah. I think that when we start with that, you know, there's all these craft element things. There's all these things we can do. But until we get to that place, you know, but you know, you know, I think. And when you know those things, it makes it easier to go into what you don't know. You know, once you ground yourself in that landscape of, I'm just going to, can I reflect back to you what you just said? Please. Yeah. I want to start with the last one. It's magic. There's a physical journey and that's bound up in nature. Um, It's a growing up and a mentor. I would even say the mentee becomes the mentor because there's a transformation that happens it's meditation, it's wordlessness, it's modeling compassion, and it's a model for the search for meaning. One man's search for meaning. And you don't have to do it for everybody else because here's the really paradoxical secret. If you ground yourself fully enough in that landscape, let yourself go there fully enough, eventually, other people will read it and they will see themselves in that story. People who are nothing like you at all because we're all human. You know? Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Courageous Wordsmith. Today's episode featured Ray DePola. You can read about him and find links in the show notes. And... If you enjoy this podcast, you can help it thrive and grow organically. Please subscribe right on this page, share with friends, and sign up for True Lines, my letter for real-life creatives. Please and thank you for your support of all kinds. You can learn more about me at CourageousWordsmith.com. I'm Amy Halbert, and until we meet again, travel safely.